today on Mother Mayhem. You did not deserve what happened to you. What happened to you was child abuse, child neglect, and sexual assault. Fault lies solely at the feet of your abusers. Full fucking stop on that one, my friend. Full stop. Welcome back to Mother Mayhem, the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Podcast for Daughters. Hi, I'm your host, Heather Gray, and I'm so very, very glad to be back with you and really be back with you, having the in-depth and meaningful conversations that we've so grown accustomed to having together on the show. Today's conversation is such an important one. And it is one that I really feel so very proud and privileged to be leading. And as we settle in, I want to be clear that today, in addition to talking about narcissistic abuse and neglect, we're also going to be talking about sexual assault on a child and on an adult woman. It is for sure a tough topic, and it may not be one that you're up to listening to right now. This might not be the right time. It might not be the right day. For a number of you, this is going to be a conversation that will hit close to home. Because like our listener for today's episode shares, sometimes by experiencing childhood trauma, you become more vulnerable to suffering repeated trauma. It is not at all uncommon for trauma survivors to suffer multiple traumas. And when shit keeps happening to you, it is easy to think it's your fault. Of course, we know that isn't the case, but it doesn't always feel like it. So that is the conversation we're starting. If it isn't your day for this, no hard feelings. Please do take care of yourself. If it feels okay to continue, I want you to remember the grounding and deep breathing exercises that we've talked about on other intense episodes. You're encouraged to use those skills as you listen today if you need to do so. I don't want any of you white-knuckling your way through this conversation or forcing yourself through it. That isn't recovery. Recovery is knowing what you can handle right now, what you can't handle right now, and giving yourself permission for that to be okay. I also want to share with you that today's listener shared her story with me with the support of her therapist. I've checked in with her therapist personally to ensure that our listener will be supported during this experience. She's being taken care of, and I want to make sure that as you listen, you are being taken care of as well. So now I'm going to introduce you to Hope. Any Days of Our Lives fans listening? I was such a Days of Our Lives fan back in the 80s and 90s, and Hope was one of my favorite characters. I chose the name Hope because while we're talking about hard things today, there is so much hope in this conversation, so much healing. This is a conversation where Hope gets to say, this is me. This is my truth. This is what happened to me. She doesn't have to hide the conversation behind her private life or in her therapist's office. 
She gets to state it out loud and she gets to name and own her recovery, her strength, and her resilience. Hope and I went back and forth on this conversation and it was carefully thought through. As you can imagine, it's nerve-wracking to share such personal things, but it is also freeing and can be a tremendous moment for recovery. And like I told Hope, if her family wanted her to say nicer things about them, they should have been nicer to her. So here's Hope, and Hope, as you listen, imagine this community of women around the world, listening, circling around you, having your back. They already believe you. Some share the same wounds as you, and they are saying, me too. All of you are in this together, and I am in it with you. Now you get to take your turn. Here's your story as you wanted us to know it. Hi, Heather. I wanted to start off by thanking you for doing this podcast. It has been incredibly helpful to all of us as we navigate the realities that come along with being a daughter of a narcissistic mother and experiencing childhood trauma. My therapist, who is also an expert in narcissistic abuse, recommended your podcast to me months ago, and it has truly been a catalyst in so much of my healing. Shout out to the both of you. You make real change in this community. To start off, my name is Hope, and I am 29 years old. I am a daughter of a narcissistic mother with two sisters. I am in the middle. I would really like to open a conversation with you and the peanut gallery about some of the shame and guilt that we as daughters who are trying to heal feel when we try to express our truths about owning our own past. I know that this has been a common occurrence in my life as a person who has never tried to stir the pot or inconvenience anyone with my truth, even if it caused me direct harm. Although I'm making progress in those areas of my life by learning how to set boundaries and have realistic expectations for myself and others, I still feel a very specific twinge of pain for that little girl who was never gifted the privilege of having a home where she felt safe or validated enough to simply speak her experiences aloud. In fact, I'm already feeling the tightness in my chest as I prepare to even type some of it. It feels so wrong and so taboo to even type the letters on a document like I don't have the right to share the chaos that I lived in. But I am saying fuck it. I am going to do the best I can to tell my part of the story and I'm going to try really hard not to apologize for it. And hopefully you will be able to answer some questions and add to this conversation that we should be having. I am, however, going to preface my story with a blanket trigger warning to whomever may listen to it. Some topics are upsetting, but it is a part of my experience. When I was very young, probably two years old or so, I began to realize my relationship with my mother was going to be complicated. I probably learned this the first time when I was two and a half years old and I broke my leg while playing on the trampoline with my dad. I remember scooting around on my leg for about two weeks, confused why I couldn't walk anymore. My mom chalked it up to me probably just being sore, and that's why I started crawling again. I remember after about two weeks, she decided she better take me to the doctor because I still had not been able to bear weight on it. On the drive over, she complained to me about the cost of the x-ray and how I better hope something was wrong with me. 
Turns out my kneecap and tibia were fractured, and I got to enjoy a full-length leg cast for my third birthday that year. Although this is probably my earliest memory of my mom's narcissism affecting my well-being, it was not the last time, but it did teach me the first of a lifetime of lessons from my mom. The first lesson I learned this time was that my pain would not be fixed by sharing it with my mother and that needing to ask for help was going to be very difficult. Time went on, and I had learned very quickly how to better earn my mom's favor. One of those ways was by being a tomboy and very infrequently crying or asking for much loving attention. I was a very low-maintenance kid who was highly capable of entertaining herself. Flash forward to an early childhood experience from when I was eight years old that taught me some new vital pieces of information about being my mother's daughter. Full transparency, I mostly blocked out this memory for the better part of 18 years until I started therapy at 26, thanks to alcohol dependency for getting me to finally find my seat in a therapist's office. Anyway, I'm getting off track. When I was eight, I attended a nighttime sports event at my elementary school gym for my eldest sister. That night, I was stalked by a sex offender and eventually taken by him out of the gym where he took me outside to finish assaulting me. The experience didn't last more than a couple of hours, but I did find out that evening that my response to that type of trauma was to freeze. I eventually made it away from him in order to protect my younger sister from getting taken by him as well. It was a horrifying experience, to say the least. I remember nobody even knew I was gone, and when I returned, I tried to inform my parents what happened, and they very quickly said that probably isn't what happened, and they are sure whoever it was didn't mean to scare me. I was rushed home after practice finished, and the event was essentially shoved into the back of a deep closet. I never received help or counseling, or even given a simple gesture of validation. I was not allowed to speak to the police because mom was embarrassed it happened to her kid. Couldn't have anyone knowing she let me out of her sight, you know. So it just didn't happen. Time passed. I began to have a problem with feeling unsafe in places that were supposed to feel safe. I developed a problem pulling my hair out, which my mom did not approve of because, quote, it made me ugly. Mom always really appreciated that I was a pretty kid, and so I stopped pulling out my hair so she'd treat me like she loved me again. Some mom lessons I had reaffirmed this time was that I could not share imperfect or scary events with my parents. They would bring shame to the family. A new lesson I learned was that even if something most people would consider catastrophic happened to me, it was always going to take a backseat to the impact my experiences would have on my mom and her image. P.S. I found the guy 20 years later. He's out of jail for the 19 other kids he has sex offender charges against. Since that event, mom was always weird with me being around males. I'm pretty sure she believed I must have done something to provoke the man, the one that never took me, right? She told me I acted provocatively for being friends with boys and said provocative girls got in bad situations because of their behavior and that I should not put myself in that position. 
I really started to learn how to stay on my mom's good side in the coming years. Most of the time, I hung out with girls and attended church on a regular basis. This was very important to her that people saw her children were in church. Flash forward to the beginning of high school when I attended a church lock-in with my sister and her boyfriend. It was all fun and games until one of the actual games turned into turning all the lights off in the church to essentially play capture the flag, but the culty Christian style. I found myself stuck in a bathroom in a church I had never been to. In the dark, where two males also playing the game found me, and they didn't let me leave the bathroom until I took off all of my clothes, performed some unspeakable things to both of them. God, I remember the shame I felt. I was so ashamed that my mom had been right. I was the promiscuous girl, and I had gotten myself into a terrible position. I never told anyone about it because all I could think that was my mom was seeing that she was right about me and having her I told you so moment, not to mention that she would inform me of how I was going to hell for performing sexual acts in a church like I had even had much of a choice. So I chalked it up to the idea that I should just be grateful the males found me attractive enough to force sex on me. After that, I really started to try and foster other relationships outside my family. So let's flash forward again to midway through high school. I began to play with the idea of dating, and my first boyfriend gave me all the attention I never got at home. I was never particularly interested in being physical, which is now clear to me why, but my boyfriend very much was. After about two months of dating, he decided that he had waited long enough and he could have sex with me anyway. It wasn't violent, and sure, I probably could have physically fought him off, but again, I just froze. I was getting used to the idea that I was just putting myself in these situations because I was one of those girls my mom told me I would be. We dated a while after that, but the relationship eventually fizzled out. I never acknowledged this part of our relationship to anyone because, you guessed it, I didn't want it to ever get back to my mom. Plus, I pretty much had decided at that point that I probably deserved it for being a tease or something. I didn't exactly learn new lessons in the curriculum of my mother this time. I more just reaffirmed what I thought to be true about myself because of all the shit she said about me my whole life. I kept trying to date after that. At the end of the day, I have to give credit to little me. She was one resilient motherfucker. And I still am. Cheers to that, Miss Hope. Cheers to that. Flash forward once more to the end of high school, where I agreed to go on a date with a guy I had gotten to know in a concert band. I remember he had more money than I had ever had growing up. I grew up pretty impoverished. We planned on going to dinner and seeing a movie. I remember the guy forgot his wallet, and I ended up paying for dinner, which I was happy to do because I was just happy to be on a date with him. On the way to the movie, he said he needed to pay me back for dinner, and I told him he could just get the next one. But then he threw me in the back of his car and said he had another idea. He proceeded to have sex with me, which I guess paid for his dinner. Believe it or not, we still went to the movie after that, and I paid again. I never texted him again after that date, though. 
Thank goodness even Little Hope had some limit to her generosity. Again, I never tell anyone about it because what would it do besides affirm everyone's thoughts that I was the slut they believed me to be? Which, by the way, I've now had sexual contact with five men, none of which I have agreed to. Believing that I was a slut, which, by the way, I use that term fully because the word carries memory value for me, I do not condone using this word against or about women. Always felt like a lie, but I was essentially trained to believe it since I was such a small kid. So I didn't even bother bringing it up. Just another story for the closet. By this point, the line between what my mom said about me and what my experiences actually were was so blurred that it wouldn't have mattered if I had had a confidant or not, which I didn't. By this point, you might be wondering why I'm telling you all of these gory details of my life on a podcast about maternal narcissistic abuse recovery. The reason why is that I'm just now starting to see how all of this stuff connects. It's absolutely caused me to torch my self-esteem to the point that rape was the standard of my treatment. I was and still am the disappointment and scapegoat of my family system. I would like some help seeing why daughters of narcissistic mothers tend to hide their trauma. I'm also curious if this is a common trend to see women like us find ourselves always getting into situations like this, or is it just me? And how the fuck do I finally stand up with little hope and hold her hand through all of that trauma now as a healing adult? Thoughts I still struggle with are, did I totally make all of this up? What do I do now to heal all of these untouched wounds with not only myself, but with people in general? How do I assure myself that people aren't just trying to hurt me or take advantage of me? I hear my mom's voice in my head too often when I'm triggered by men or situations about how I cause it because of my actions or behaviors. I know this story seems like a bit of a downer, but I'm doing pretty great now. I'm in a healthy marriage of seven years, and I have a well-respected career. I may still be the scapegoated child in my mother's eyes, but I'm actually kicking ass. I am building the career that my childhood self never even knew she wanted. I demand respect when it isn't given to me, and I have several amazing relationships with friends and colleagues that my younger self still has major imposter syndrome for having. I'm actually proud of the life I live now. I just wanted to throw that in there for anyone who may feel like they too are damaged. Therapy works. I may never get to a place where I stop going to therapy, but this work on myself has given me my life back. I'm in the driver's seat. So I'd say I'm pretty thrilled to keep going back each week. My relationship with my mom is pretty surface level now, but that is for my own safety and healing. Thanks for reading all of that. I actually feel a little bit of a relief now that it's all written. I really hope that it can resonate with other daughters and help them on their healing journeys. As I said before, people like you really make an amazing impact on those of us who find ourselves listening to your podcast. Thanks for sharing your passion with us. Oh, okay, Hope. <laughs> Let's you and I and all of the listeners just take one deep breath together. 
Okay there. Good on you for sharing that story. You are owning your story and it doesn't own you. You told your story, you shared your truth, and you didn't die. I hope you can sit in this moment, no matter how much you might be shaking, and feel real pride in yourself. Feel pride in naming and sharing your truth. Feel pride in saving your own life. Feel pride in building a life that looks nothing like you grew up with or in. Take a moment right here, right now, to thank yourself. You started numbing out from your story with alcohol, and you stopped. You showed up to therapy, and you kept showing up, and you did the work. You shared your story, you spoke your truth, and invited recovery into your life. You could have just stopped right there, and that would have been enough. But you listen to the whisper. What if there are other women like me who need this conversation? Why are other women like me forced to hide our stories in the shadows? All of this is what you have to be grateful to yourself for. Of course, feel pride. But I also invite you to feel deep gratitude to yourself for this moment. Of course, you know that I and everyone listening absolutely positively hate that this happened to you. We hate that this is your story and that there are so many things you had to survive. We hate it. I want you to just sit back now and listen to me. Just hear my voice and pay attention to what I want you to know and everyone listening to know. I want you to listen to me as I read your question back to you. Here's what you had to say. I am also curious if this is a common trend to see women like us find ourselves always getting into situations like this, or is it just me? I want you to hear what I hear in those words. Your trauma brain thinks this might be your fault. That's what you're asking me here. Is this my fault? Is this something about me that invites abuse? Do I have a sign on my back somewhere that says, go ahead, hurt me, it's okay? I was deliberate in my wording here. Your trauma brain asked that question, not your wise mind. I am confident that you have been in enough therapy and have experienced enough healing for your wise mind to know what we all do. No, Hope, this was not your fault. Repeated abuse did not happen to you because of anything inherently wrong with you. You did not cause this. Your wise mind knows this. But trauma brain still feels that way, and that's okay and understandable. Here's what I want you to know and hear. You did the very, very best you could with the tools you had at the time. Is it common for other daughters of narcissistic mothers to also experience repeated abuse, especially by men? Yes. This is what happens sometimes and how it goes for some people. 
not because of who you are, not because of anything you said, not because of anything you did, and not because of anything you didn't say, and not because of anything you didn't do. This was not your fault. You didn't put yourself in these situations. You did not deserve what happened to you. What happened to you was child abuse, child neglect, and sexual assault. Fault lies solely at the feet of your abusers. Full fucking stop on that one, my friend. Full stop. But you're right. Repeated abuse happens to a lot of women with your background. And I want to walk you through the hows and the whys. You've heard me say on the show that trauma is what happens in the absence of a witness. You experienced repeated abuse, pain, and neglect as a child, and it was not witnessed and it was not validated. You were not seen, kept safe, or nurtured. So when someone says something, does something, doesn't say, or doesn't do something, we create stories about that. If we never test those stories out loud, if we never ask another person for verification, we end up moving through the world as if the stories we are carrying are true. And then we start to act accordingly. After repeated child abuse and sexual abuse, you created a story in your head that largely went untested. You created the slut story. It was the story your mother had, and each example became positive proof that she was right about you and that you were just awful. That happens because that's what we do with stories, especially the negative ones. We look for proof positive. We collect armies of proof. I am unlovable and undeserving of respect because of X. I deserve to be raped because of Y. You were two when you remember the broken leg that was ignored. Eight, when you were sexually assaulted for the first time. And we know by the nature of your childhood that there were not six quiet years in between those times. You were repeatedly ignored and as a result internalized the story that you were unworthy of attention or kindness. So the situations where you aren't treated kindly feel familiar, orderly, predictable. Even if they still gave you the creeps and made your hair on the back of your neck stand up. Because you were accustomed to feeling the creeps. You knew the feeling of your hair standing up on the back of your neck. So it felt just about right. And you knew from the time memories were formed what it was like not to feel worthy, not to feel deserving, to, as you say, have your self-esteem shot. So someone with a shot self-esteem and a fractured story about themselves moves through the world in a certain way. You hold these stories about yourselves and about what you deserve, and it creates an energy about you. It's that energy that abusers sense take advantage of, and exploit. They sense your lack of a sense of self, and they abuse it, not because it's your fault, not because you deserve it, but because no one has taught you how to move through the world 
any differently. You weren't taught how to fight, how to protect yourself, how to hold accountability, how to have boundaries, or any other acts of self-preservation that actually work to protect yourself. You were taught to acquiesce, to play nice, to not ruffle feathers. Fighting back meant making everything worse. Calling attention to yourself meant being further blamed for what happened to you. Trauma brain had your back back when you were eight years old. It protected you from what you couldn't possibly deal with without professional support or loving nurturing from a parent. You were the walking wounded hope, and that's why abuse happened to you. Because you were wounded, your wounds were exposed, and you fell prey to abusers who took advantage. This was not because you did anything wrong. This was not your fault, and there's nothing you could have done to stop it. You were doing everything right. You tried to protect your sister. You tried to be what your mom wanted. You tried to be the good girlfriend. Your heart, Hope, it has always been good, and it has always had the right intention but it was not in a place where it was carefully kept and regarded. That's why there's so much pain to pick up and so much of yourself to piece back together. And you are by no means the only woman this happens to. You only knew how to fight for love, attention, and affection. You never knew healthy love or healthy boundaries, so you didn't recognize them at first when they appeared. Healthy love and healthy boundaries felt scary at first because it's so wildly unfamiliar. Women with your story often feel like they attract the deadbeats of the world and often end up in awful, horrible relationships that only further abuse them. Hope, it sounds like you saved yourself just in time and that this isn't your story now. But I know it's the story of many women listening. So if you'll allow me, I'd like to walk you and everyone listening through this. Being abused is never your fault. But yes, there are things that once we're conscious of them, we can do to stop further abuse from recurring. So here's how it goes. You were abused, neglected, ignored, and manipulated. And those formative childhood development years, when you are developing your sense of self and sense of the world. Abuse makes you feel like shit about yourself. You learn to only accept shit and learn to only expect shit. That's the energy that surrounds you. When healthy love shows up, you don't recognize it. You don't think it's meant for you. You experience it as foreign so you're closed off to it. I often tell women I work with that the good men and the good women will make their skin crawl. They're boring and uninteresting. Energetically, you don't believe that a good guy or a good woman would choose you, so you're closed off to him or her. You don't think they're for you, so you look over them. So the good guy or the good woman, they're there. They see you, they like you, they're interested in you, but they see you as closed, as unavailable. And so they walk on by. 
because that's what good guys and good women do. They see the walls, they see the no vacancy sign, and they keep on walking. They respect the boundary. They don't stop to tell themselves a story that maybe this is just some poor abused girl who doesn't believe herself worthy of being loved, and then they decide to be the guy who railroads you to change all that. Good guys, good women, they walk on by. They respect limits. They respect you. You're closed off to the good guys, but often your energy is open to the kind of guy or the kind of person you expect you deserve. So you end up being more open. Or maybe you aren't even open. You're closed, but users and abusers pay no mind to walls or boundaries, and they climb over them. Some women might end up interpreting that as familiar. The drama that goes into being loved, that fight for attention. Either way, the users and abusers make themselves known, and many women with your story hope think it's all they're ever going to get and all they ever deserve. So they end up on that toxic energy because they weren't ever exposed to the good love that can exist in the world. I know hope that this isn't quite you. <laughs> You've got that healthy marriage going on. But thanks for allowing me that little bit of a slight tangent. But I do want to get back to the rest of your questions. It's really important to me that I hit all of them. You asked about why so many of you daughters tend to hide your trauma. Most people who go through trauma tend to hide it. And that is most often because shame gets attached to the story, to your understanding of it, and becomes absorbed into how you see yourself. Your story growing up was that you were a slut who put herself into these situations. Why would you go and talk about that story? Who would you tell? What would they say? Would you even be believed? Because look at what happened to you. Your leg was broken for two fucking weeks and you were allowed to just crawl about. Your mom took you to the doctor eventually, but not without abuse. But where the fuck was your father? He'd been playing with you. He was right there. Who else knew? Who else saw you crawling about and failed to ask the right questions or take the right actions? Then at eight, you did your job. You protected yourself the very, very best you could. And you told exactly who you were supposed to tell. You told your parents, Hope. And when put in a place to choose between you and your abuser, or between you and their public perception, they failed epically and repeatedly to choose you. So, of course, by the time you are in a dark church, you come to believe that no one will believe you, that you caused this, and that you would only end up being blamed for it. That's what was true for you. Not because of some story you told yourself, but because of the evidence. Adults don't keep me safe. Adults can't keep me safe. Adults don't take care of me. Adults don't care about me. Your memory of age eight 
was that it didn't last for more than a few hours. What the actual fuck? An eight-year-old was missing for hours and no one noticed. No one cared. Some of you listening can't even clock into work four minutes late without someone noticing. And yet you, an eight-year-old little girl, was missing, abducted, and just gone. And no one gave a shit. God damn. Fuck, this is hard, Hope. Of course little girl Hope grew into someone who didn't think much of herself or her worth. There was no one there to tell her otherwise, and that's how shame makes its nest and keeps you quiet. I quoted Brene Brown in my last episode I did a few weeks, and she tells us shame cannot exist in the light. That's why you and I are hanging out together here, Hope. That's why you're here. You're bringing your story into the light. Shame cannot exist here. You, your therapist, and I were working together on this, right? We made this plan to share your story, to bring your truth to light so the last remnants of shame can finally leave you. That's my wish, my hope, pun intended, for this time together. That once you've processed it, dotted the I's and crossed the T's on this whole weird podcast sharing experience on bringing your story to the show, that you will finally rid yourself of all of the shame. I really believe that's how other women will start talking about their stories too, by bringing their story into their own light with their own safe people and their lives. That is why we're here, why we're doing this. And I feel so incredibly, incredibly privileged to be a part of it. So how do you help Little Hope through this? You start by giving her a hell of a lot of credit for everything you've already done for her. You are saving her from an adulthood of addiction. You're saving her from an adulthood of hiding playing small, believing every awful thing she might think of herself, you are bringing her shame into the light where it can effectively burn out and leave her. You are choosing to believe that perhaps the stories about yourself that you're carrying are bullshit. You're choosing to believe that you are worthy and deserving of more. When it doesn't ring quite true and imposter syndrome rears its ugly head, you are not acting as if it's true. Your actions reflect who you want to be and how you want to move through the world. You are leaning into your work, you're leaning into those friendships, and you are leaning into a love that is good, safe, and deserving of your heart. So I think you tell little girl Hope, Look, I've got you. See, we're safe. I've got you. Sometimes, though, no matter how much healing you've done, old, bullshit, tired stories find you, 
old fears and new fears pop up. Intrusive memories show up. Old, tired, dysfunctional behaviors of our past make repeat experiences and appearances. In those moments, you hold on to her and let her know it's okay. She's been through a world of hurt, and she's still a little girl, so of course she's scared. Of course she wants to play small, hide, or melt away. Maybe for a moment, hope. Maybe an even letter. You let her hide. Healing comes with this insane amount of pressure to always be the most personally developed versions of ourselves, to always have the right answers. And sometimes we just want to fuck off, eat bad food, outwear our comfies, shut down, or tune out. However little girl Hope wants to show up and express her pain, let her be there for her and witness it. Then use wise mind to gently remind her that it's time to move to a different place. Maybe she gets a day for a minor irritant, maybe a week for something bigger and more significant. Trust your wise mind to know you won't let her get lost. You won't let her wallow. That you will witness, hold on, and you won't let go. If you need to, you'll drag her to a better place because now you know a better place exists. You know what it looks like and you know where you can find safety and you will bring her there. You'll show her the way. Sometimes little girl you and adult you are going to find yourselves in an oh shit moment. You're not going to recognize where you are and you aren't going to know how to get out. And that's okay. It happens. But now you know what to do when you're lost. You know who you can go to. You know the people who are going to remind you of who you are. You know who you can make a mistake in front of and who you can be perfectly imperfect with. You'll get yourself there, and you'll bring little hope with you. It's not about having all the answers or knowing what to do. It is about being willing to find out. You end your letter with me with these really important questions. Thoughts I still struggle with are, did I totally make all this up? What do I do now to heal all of those untouched wounds with not only myself, but with people in general? How do I assure myself that people aren't just trying to hurt me or take advantage of me? I hear my mom's voice in my head too often when I'm triggered by men or situations about how I cause it because of my actions or behaviors. Did you totally make all of this up? Wise mind knows you didn't. But maybe wise mind is also smart enough to know that sometimes people get details wrong. Trauma brain kicks in with this erroneous idea that if you say something happened on a Tuesday and it was really on a Wednesday, that your whole story was false and you were a liar. You got a detail wrong. When your mind leaves you for a second and you are tempted to just take it all back, Remember little Hope. Tell her, I know, it's awful. We don't want this to be true. 
It would be so much easier if it weren't true. Of course we're hoping it was just a bad dream, and of course we want to hide it. But we have learned the best times in our life happened after we told the truth to ourselves. After we gave ourselves permission to speak up, so we're speaking up. If they wanted us to be nicer and talking about them, they should have been nicer to us. We've got this. How do you assure yourself that people aren't trying to hurt you? Don't tell yourself a story that you are somehow broken or damaged because trusting people is hard. Instead, get clear on what you need from people in order to be able to trust them. You might need things like respectful language, somebody who's respectful of your time, someone who listens, someone who does what they say, communicates, someone who takes responsibility, etc., etc. But what often happens for trauma survivors is you assume that you are the problem because you don't trust. So if someone makes a good first impression, you feel the pressure to just open the gates. No, 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 no. Screw that. That's not how it works. You keep the gates closed. They're kind. They're considerate, respectful. They earn their first yes. That might mean a yes to open your mind, your benefit of the doubt, your willingness to engage. Then time for the next interaction. Do a gut check. Were they consistent with themselves? Were they aware and intentional with you? Did their behavior match their actions? Did they respect any boundaries you might have set? Did they earn another yes? You keep this process up until it feels like you can consistently say yes to a person without reservation, but then you keep periodically checking in with yourself. Trust is earned with consistency, not with pressure to do it quick and just get on with it. You probably already know some of your triggers or the things you react to. Other times, you might be learning of new triggers when they pop up and you find yourself reacting. You probably have heard me say on the show I hate the word trigger, but it's impossible for me to be a trauma therapist and not use it. Still, I hate that word. Like you just heard me say, I like the word reaction. You are having a reaction to a certain situation based on previous experiences. So, first things first. What do you need when you are reacting? What do you crave? What brings you comfort? Try not to do anything or say anything in response to the reaction. Give yourself the grace of a beat. <laughs> Hope you, you told me that I used the word beat, so I was very deliberate in my word choice there. <laughs> so give yourself that grace of a beat of an opportunity to check in with yourself. See if you can step away to ask yourself what you might be reacting to. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Does it feel true? Picture little hope in that moment. What does she need? What does safely navigating that situation look like for scared hope and navigate it that way? Not all of this will always be on you either. 
with your chosen people, with your safe people. It's okay to share yourself with new people who you want to understand you better. You can do this too. It sounds a little bit something like, hey, a little fun fact about me. I've seen some shit in my life. I usually have a handle on it, but today it's kicking my butt a little. I'm feeling kind of buzzy and unsettled. I just need a second. It would help me if you could A, B, or C. I think sometimes we think our trauma is ours to carry alone. That isn't true. We just have to find the safe people to share it with. Anyone who knows me, they know I am a natural born crier. So I usually say something like, don't mind me. I just really feel things sometimes. I really like being that matter of fact about ourselves without apology. And if you want to hear this is me from the greatest showman playing in the background as I'm saying this, so much the better. But then you trust your gut. Does this feel okay? Are the hairs on my neck raised? If you're getting the sketchy vibe, risk being wrong. Risk not trusting someone and being wrong about that and offending someone over-risking not trusting yourself and exposing yourself to further hurt. Once you have enough examples of what healthy, functioning, trustworthy people look like and act like, your gut will be more finely tuned to recognize and seek those characteristics out. But for a while, you'll find you're just getting your sea legs under you, so to speak. So you're going to go slow. You're going to show yourself grace, and you're going to make choices from the driver's seat of your life, from a place of knowing what earns a yes, from a place of knowing that you say when, you say where, and you say stop, from that place of trusting yourself. And lastly, anytime you hear your mother's voice in your head, please, please, please kindly tell her to fuck off. She cannot be trusted. She's the mother who let her kid hobble on a broken leg, who failed to keep her safe from abuse, who failed in so many ways, large and small. What does she know about anything? She hasn't earned your trust. She is not on that list. It isn't her opinion that matters. Her voice is on an old, tired tape that is still playing. And you're only 29, sister, so I'm not even sure if you remember cassettes. You might need your therapist's help with that one. (laughs) That tired tape expression, it's starting to date itself quickly. For now, picture yourself taking the tape out of the recorder and tossing it. And in your mind, if it's a CD, toss that. If it's a digital version, delete, delete, delete. It's time to toss the tape, sister. Toss the tape. It's time. Put in the tape of your voice. Play the playlist that reflects your beliefs, your values, your truth. Stay close to the people who've earned your trust and picture yourself adding their voices to your playlist. Listen to them believing in you when it all becomes too hard to believe in yourself. You get to choose 
whose voice plays in your head. Hope we chatted about this before, so I know you just had a birthday. <laughs> so welcome to 29. <laughs> 29 was so long ago for me, man. Um, I wanted to offer you something that changed my life when I was 39. I called that year, this is 40. So for you, I would like you to think about trying this coming year, looking at it as this is 30. Get clear on who you are, how you want to move through the world, and what you want your life to look like, and how you want to be when you're 30. Then make decisions from that place. What are you leaving behind in your 20s? What are you taking with you into your 30s? Now, 39 ended up being quite the transformative year for me. So I learned so much about myself that I did it again when I was 44 for when I turned 45. But you, Hope, and anyone listening, you don't need a milestone birthday or the dawn of a new year to decide that some shit is just tired and doesn't need to be brought with you into the next day, the next week, the next month, or the next year. Welcome to this year of This is 30, and I can't wait to hear what happens next. A community of women around the world have been listening to this with you. They all believe you, and we know that some are saying, me too. I believe this with my whole being, that you started helping someone save themselves by sharing your story today. I just know it. If I could add one triple dog dare, if you could just sit with me for one more second. I already know that you and your therapist have a plan to listen to this. You've collected some safe people in your life. I am honored and privileged to be one of those people. I wonder what it would be like for you to share this story this episode, this podcast episode, your episode, with at least one other safe person. To show yourself to someone who has already proven themselves ready and able and capable of being there. To not just share the story on a podcast, but to start to own it together with the people who have connected to you, who love you, who care about you, to expand the circle in your real life, who know as you're moving through the world, kicking ass, taking names, doing the things, making the friends, what would it be like if you added at least one more person to that story in your real life who knows that this is you? That might be not today. That might not be until you're in your 30s. But at some point, I would encourage you to stop hiding your story from the people in your life who might really want to know it. Just some thought for consideration. And I hope I haven't overstepped in saying that. And I'm also going to say to your therapist, check my work on that one. If you don't think it's a good idea, you have a better sense of her people in her life. 
tell her not to listen to me. <laughs> tell her to take all the grains of salt. But I do hope, really like the idea of you expanding your circle with people who see you, know you, and believe you. You did a really hard thing, and you've said some really hard things. Please, my friend, leave the shame here. It's not serving you. You have a community of women ready to light the match and set your shame on fire. Let it burn, sister. Leave it here. You've got this. We're in it with you. All of us together. Bye for now. I'm so grateful that you're here. You're right where you're supposed to be. At its heart, I'm hoping to use this show to build a community of women working together to heal from childhoods marked by maternal narcissism and emotional neglect. My goal for Mother Mayhem is that this show becomes an advice and mentoring-driven show where you share your questions, struggles, and stories, and I offer you direction for healing and recovery. That can't happen without your contributions. I invite you to send a recorded voice memo or write in an email with your questions and things you're struggling with. You can always find me over at heather at daughtersnpd.com. To connect further, I invite you to find me over at Instagram and occasionally on TikTok at daughtersnpd. If you know another woman who needs this conversation in her life, I'm going to ask that you share the show with her. You can help me get the word out with your reviews and social shares of the show, and I hope you'll consider doing so. Special thanks to Heather Clark for editing this show. She's in my head and knows what I meant to say when the words come out backwards. Thanks for your time today. I'm always in it with you. Bye for now.